What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL. I guess it's not a marathon matchup show anymore, but the NFL matchup show for Saturday and Sunday. I'm Dave Lochran at Lafay underscore D L O U G H Y underscore D on the Twitters and the social medias for all of you podcast listeners. Now, before I introduced my uh, co-host today, I want to point out that if you're listening for Saturday slate, we got you. You're listening for Sunday slate. We got you as well. We're not going to hit them on the same. We're going to split them up because the the slates are the the contests, I should say, are much larger for Saturday individually and Sunday individually. And then, of course, we'll have a bunch of showdown content for Monday's Arizona and L.A. game. So that's what we're going to do. We'll do Saturday slate. We'll split it up and then Sunday slate. So if it's if it's Saturday night and you're watching this, we still got you. We're going to Jordan's going to timestamp this right afterwards. You'll know when the Sunday slate hits. And you'll be in good shape. So now that that's out of the way, Matt Savoca at Draftaholic joining me for the first week of the postseason. Matt, we got through some monster slates to close out the year. And here we are, man. Five games for Saturday, Sunday. What's good, brother? I'm feeling great. This It feels a little bit like an epilogue, right? No more marathon matchups, as you said. But I'm so happy to be here. So happy to be continuing through the playoffs with you guys. We got so much great content over at Osmo.com and here on the channel. And I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Let's dig into this. There are some really good games here and some uh, some clunkers and some weather I'm excited to talk about, too. Yeah, I know. You know, there's a couple games, actually, where weather could could play a little bit of a role here. Is the wind still expected to be bad in Tampa? Yes, it is. We're expecting sustained winds around 20 miles per hour and some rain. That's uh, that's exciting for Tom Brady and company. I mean, it actually really benefits the Eagles. I still don't think they get out of this one alive, but it certainly benefits a team that, that wants to run the football 40 times a game. It absolutely does it. And it just makes things more interesting. Like I, I want to see a playoff game that's down to the wire. And certainly the rain just adds to the variability of many things. We'll get into it with all the players. All the same players are still high probability, but I agree with you. The Eagles could keep this close. No doubt. Uh, so Justin Geary said second round of COVID. Here we go. Call me a conspiracy theorist, but I think it's going to be mighty interesting when no star players land on the COVID list during the postseason, Matt. Oh, gosh. Here we go. All right. Hold on. I didn't get my tinfoil hat. Put it on, baby. I might, I might have it at some point. I haven't been uh, wrong yet about any of this stuff. Any of it. Go I, back. Check my track record, man. I've been pretty spot on. Even with the stuff that they're putting in as, as new protocol, I've been on that shit weeks ahead of time. So don't count me out. Don't doubt me quite yet, Matt. Watch. No one's going to hit. No, nobody big is going to hit it. And if they do, they won't miss a game. I, I'm interested to see. Here's what I will say. I want that from an entertainment, entertainment product standpoint. That's what I want. I don't delve in as, as far into these things as you. I just, uh, I just hope they all play. That's what I'll say. For sure. Look, I'm not trying to pull you into anything. I'm just saying, you know. I'm feeling a little money. Pulled. NFL is a money-making business, okay? It, it, let me put it to you this way, and then we're going to jump into Vegas and Cincinnati. No, seriously, hear me out for a second. Chat, you can, you can have some opinions about me. That's okay, but I'm just speaking facts. If, it was that, if they were that worried about this, would you still be allowing 75,000 fans in attendance unmasked? I was listening you- to an ESPN podcast uh, with the head of Harvard Medical who's talking about how it has a lot to do with the amount of space that your breath has to escape. So when you're talking about five, six, seven, eight stories in a giant dome, even 
then there's enough room for it to move. I am not a scientist. I am listening to a podcast and I'm speaking to you second-handed, but that is my belief for why those aren't consistently big events. Sure. I'm not, listen, I'm not even talking about COVID in general. I'm talking about it's a money-making business. That's all I'm saying. Sure, sure, sure. They want to make money, right? And you make money by putting the best players on the field and as many people as you can in attendance. That's all I'm saying, man. You know, that's not really yeah. controversial if you think about it. But Method anyway. Maine Johnson says, that's where you made a mistake listening to ESPN. <laughs> oh, man. It's about everything's destroyed. about money. Once we understand that everything's about money, everything starts to make sense. Anyway, none of this, uh, none of this matters because we're going to have football this week, no matter what. So let's talk about it, Matt. We got five games to get into. Las Vegas and Cincinnati, uh, second highest total on the slate, 48 and a half. Kind of an exciting game, right? Do you know when the last time Cincinnati won a playoff game was? Oh, man. When they last time they won? 2011? Or is it way before that? So that was 10 years ago, about, right? Try yeah, 30 for... years ago. Get out of here, man. I thought that Steeler. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 1991, they won a playoff game. And then the last playoff game, right? The one following that that they lost the last time they won a playoff game. It came in after that and they lost to the Oakland Raiders. So here we go, man, a rematch 30 years in the making, Matt, it's going to be fun. And I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you. I think this game has some legitimate shootout vibes. I know it's not a 53 point total, but there's a lot to like about this just in the sense that you've got Vegas at plus five. Derek Carr has not been, exactly impressive from a DFS standpoint, but he's got Waller back. Renfro has played extraordinarily well. Zay Jones has made a name for himself lately. I mean, they definitely have a couple of weapons and, and you've got Josh Jacobs coming off a great game as well. So let's kick it off there. And by the way, before we do, uh, happy to have you guys with us. I didn't mention that earlier, but love having you guys join us every single Thursday for the matchup show. Uh, it's been a really fun thing that we've done all season. So uh, let's ride this out all the way to the end. If you haven't hit that thumbs up yet, go ahead and do so. Help us combat the YouTube overlords. I mean, shit, after what I said to open the show up, I don't know if this show will even be available in an hour, but if it is, we'd love to have you hit that <laughs> thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Thanks one more time for getting us over 70,000 subs. You, uh, you make this job fun. And if you want to join the channel, hit join down below, get the free super chats each month, the custom emojis, the badges, and we'll always prioritize your questions and your comments along with our premium discord members. All right, Matt, let's kick it off. I want to talk about the passing game first with the Raiders here. Sure, sure. Oh man, Ross, uh, 4152K. Is that really the game that Bo Jackson broke his hip? Damn that game. Uh, Is it if that's really? The case. That's what he says in the chat. I can't confirm oh, or deny crazy. that, but that, darn. Talk about a player you want to go, go back and have an injury-free career, Bo Jackson. My goodness. Uh, anyway, let's let's talk about this. Is he this the Las one Vegas guy? Passing. Is he the one guy that that if you could go back and see what his career would have looked like if he wasn't hurt? Is he the one guy that it would be? There are there are three for me. It's uh, it, it's definitely him. It's Len Bias if that counts, and Ken Griffey Jr. Okay, one know who it is for me. Obviously, I agree with all of those, but a little off the board. Jamal Charles. Oh, man. Jamal Charles is one of the best running backs him. to ever play the game. 
has one of the highest yards per attempt ever, averaged over five per attempt for his entire career. Phenomenal. Two ACL injuries. If he didn't injure his ACL, Jamal Charles is going to be in the conversation as, you know, one of, if not arguably the best running back out there. That might sound controversial, right? But if his career was never derailed as it was, Jamal Charles, we'd be talking about him as one of the greatest ever to play the game. And you know what's so fun, too, as an analytics nerd? His entire career is in the quote-unquote modern era. We have the per-play efficiency metrics for him. He is the only player to have over 80 games played and average three or more fantasy points over expected per game. No one has the longevity to perform over expectation like Jamal Charles. We probably had other players, but we just didn't have their per-play metrics like we have for him. For sure. What do you want to do with the Raiders? Um, Darren Waller targeted a lot last game. It's encouraging to see. Couldn't really do much with those opportunities. He was uh, notably and understandably rusty, right? But still, nine targets. You saw Foster Moreau on the field a lot as well. I think you start to see that dissipate a little bit in the playoffs. And then you've got somebody like Zay Jones. We can talk about Renfro, but Zay Jones at his price point, I honestly think he's just underpriced with the amount of opportunities he's had. I mean, his target share um, since week 12 has been really, really solid for this Raiders team. Yeah, let's talk about this from a macro perspective for one second here. I think the Bengals have a really high chance of winning here, over 70% chance of winning in, in the way I'm looking at it. And so the Raiders at some point, I think, are going to be down and are going to be forced to pass, meaning I'm totally fine playing multiple pass catchers here. Even a contrarian stack with Derek Carr seems fine to me. Then you add on the fact that the Bengals are actually the worst defense in the playoffs in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed, and they lean towards being a pass funnel, meaning it's easier to pass on them. So at that point, you're talking about a 49, 49 and a half points total, depending on where you're looking at it. I know it's not the highest total of the entire slate, or the entire weekend, but I think this game actually ends up having the most points scored. I think it certainly has that ability, especially with the fact that both defenses are below average, uh, especially for the playoffs, but for all NFL teams. I'm really thrilled to see Darren Waller getting nine targets. That Those nine targets are actually the most looks that Darren Waller has seen since that week one 19 target game against Baltimore in overtime to start the season. So. At this point, I'm thrilled. If you're rusty and you're getting nine targets, including two in the red zone, I can slough off the fact that you only caught two of those passes for 22 yards. 68 air yards is super healthy as well. So he's the player I'm trying to prioritize, but I know that that gets difficult, especially if you're game stacking here. You're going to want a Jamar Chase or a T. Higgins or something like that. So I agree with you. Zay Jones looks really, really interesting at that 4,200 price point on DraftKings. His expected fantasy points, 13.3 DraftKings expected fantasy points, unsurprisingly top, uh, top eight at his position on the Saturday slate. So I know it feels kind of risky, but I think that is your value play in this uh, Vegas Raiders passing game. He has the same target share since week 12 as Hunter Renfro. Now, let's not ignore the fact that Darren Waller returns and will eat into that. I, I get that. But, but I also see this being a game where they're, where they have to throw. Like if you believe that Cincinnati's offense uh, is as good as they've looked, or even, you know, close to eight, even 75% as good as they've looked over the past several weeks, excluding week 18, where Joe Burrow sat, I mean, he's thrown five, he, he's thrown for almost a thousand yards in, in, in the last two games. Right. I mean, he's putting up huge numbers. He has 300 plus passing yards in four of his last five. 
they can move the football through the air and they have Joe Mixon in the backfield. They're going to score some points. And with that being the case, look, I'm not saying Cincinnati's defense is some juggernaut, some brick wall defensively. I'm not saying their defensive line is great. What I am saying, though, is when you look at Josh Jacobs on the season compared to what he did against the Chargers, I'm taking what he's done on the season over what he's done against the Chargers because literally Rex Burkhead is ripping off 140-yard games against the Chargers at this point. You know what I mean? So I think they will have to resort to the air, and I think there's going to be enough for everybody. I agree with you on Renfro, but just given the lack of value on the Saturday slate at running back, right, and the lack of really talented options, but more so Waller's great price point at tight end, I think Zay Jones and, and Waller are the two guys that I probably get to the easiest on this slate for the Raiders. Yeah, you're not talking about an unplayable uh, player in Josh Jacobs at all, but I do have him below no, players like Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, really all of the main skill players in the Cincinnati passing game. And honestly, I think I probably prefer Tyler Boyd as well based on the game script I'm thinking of. I'm never going to say that you can't play a player who's going to have 20 to 25 total opportunities like we can project for Josh Jacobs, especially on a small slate, on a two-game slate. Are you kidding me? That's fine. I just don't see the game script going that way. And we've already seen Jacobs over the last few weeks get a 30-opportunity game and barely crest double-digit fantasy points. So that's firmly in the range of outcomes as well. Yeah, no, I'm certainly not saying not to play Josh Jacobs. Listen, there aren't a lot of good running backs on this slate. All of these teams save for, and we'll see in the postseason, save for maybe the Patriots who could split things with Damian Harris and uh, Ramadre Stevenson and then get Brandon Bolden out there as your pass-catching back. All of these four teams have a lead back that's going to play most of the snaps. Joe Mixon, uh, Devin Singletary now is the clear lead back in Buffalo. And then, of course, uh, Josh Jacobs. So I think he's viable. I'm saying that I don't think they're going to be able to just lean on the ground game. And I think they're going to need to throw. So I'm not as worried about the target share. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I honestly don't think Brian Edwards is the craziest option either, right? If you're coming into a slate where he's almost minimum salary on a two gamer um, and he's seen, you know, look, five, three, four, two, and five targets over his last five games. Is that great? No. But if you could give me four or five targets from a guy at minimum salary, you might just have to take some of that. Yeah, you're going to need something like that to win a large field tournament on a small slate. But honestly, if I love using all of our tools every single week. But during the playoffs, I actually lean on the big board more often than I do in the main slates in the regular season. So Brian Edwards, you know, one of the great things about the big board is that the top overall players will get a rating near 100 and the players who are just large field contrarian picks will be all the way down at zero. It doesn't mean you can't play players who have a rating of zero. So the Edwards is the first player that we've talked about today with that rating of zero. What it really means is if you insert Edwards into your lineup, that's it in terms of contrarian needs in that roster, unless you're talking about trying to maybe take down a million dollars. That is all you have to do. This is not a showdown slate where you've got to really think about being unique. There are enough players on a two-game slate. So I agree with you, but you're still talking about the wide receiver, or excuse me, the receiver four on the Raiders who are expected to lose this game. And, you know, they do have an applied team total decently high here. They're, you know, they're expected to score 21 and a half points, but it's not like Edwards is a player that if you said, I have zero of him, I'm going to say that that makes no sense. Of course, that's fine. You know, Jordan, just as I said the other day that our chat is usually pretty great. You get this fucking asshole in here spamming that. I, know. I shouldn't even pay attention to it, but. 
Yeah, what a piece of garbage. All right. Anyway, if you're listening, I guess that's the life for him. Forgive me for using that language, but if you saw what I'm talking about, you'd be like, oh, okay, he's totally justified in saying what he just did. Um, yeah, usually it's pretty good. I mean, like, you can't you can't win them all, though, you know? Can't win them all, mm-hmm. Matt. I guess this is the life we're going to live sometimes when uh, our, our, our channel numbers keep growing, and that's, that's what we're aiming to do here, and there's a lot of great people that join us, and it's worth it, but... Yeah. Thank you, Jordan, honestly, is what I'll say. Get that, get that. That's rich says deep thoughts by Lafayette. You don't need deep thinking for that one, bro. Uh, with Cincinnati, they have so many good and talented players. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. And by the way, no real injury concerns in these games. Some of these guys are limited in practice. That doesn't mean anything going into the postseason. We'll get to the real questionables later on in the show. But with all of these guys, uh, you could make a good argument for all of them because Boyd is cheap. T- Higgins is mid-range, but he has a monster ceiling. Uh, and then Jamar Chase is phenomenal as well. Ben Rossa made a good point on Tuesday saying that Jamar Chase's ceiling is a little bit less important on a two-game slate, like if you're choosing him over Diggs, because if he goes for 27 or 47, he's probably going to be in the optimal anyway. So it's an interesting point to make for sure. But uh there's a lot of good plays on the Cincinnati side, and Joe Burrow is one of them, man. With how he's played lately, it's tough to not want to get to some of them. The problem is, what do you do when he's so closely priced to Josh Allen? I think, I and mean, we'll get to that, I think Joe Burrow makes a lot more sense in the context of the game environment he's more likely to be in than Josh Allen. I'm not saying Josh Allen doesn't have the higher ceiling, but just to riff on what Ben was talking about there, you don't need the 99th percentile score from all of your players on a two-game slate in order to take down tournaments. You're talking about needing a 67th to 75th percentile score from your high-salary players and then just having a few contrarian options hit value. So at that point, I think Joe Burrow makes a whole lot of sense. 6,800, there are players at different positions that I'm kind of prioritizing right in that salary tier. But you talk about the talent and the ceiling of both of these wide receivers in Cincinnati. The last two games that Joe Burrow played, Jamar Chase had 22 total targets, over 125 yards in each of those games, including that just insane 266-yard explosion in Week 17. Won people a lot of money in their fantasy championships, I'm sure. I won't say that any single one of these players in the Cincinnati passing game stack is a priority play, and all of them are great plays. If you're entering something like three to five lineups, this is a great opportunity to mix and match, to add a a single stack, try to add a double stack, adding in a player like Tyler Boyd or CJ Uzoma to the mix who could easily get five to eight targets in this game. But the player I have to hit on is Joe Mixon. There are so many ways that Joe Mixon hits in this game that I'm going to be over the field on him for sure. In our uh, On our big board tool, again, I'm going to mention it. He is highest at, of all running backs on this game by far. And to be honest, I was looking at Odd Chopper. Compared to our projections, his, his rushing our prop line just kind of makes no sense. It's 74 and a half right now on FanDuel where I'm looking. We haven't projected for like 96 and a half. So it's just no question here. The Raiders are the worst rush defense. Them and the Steelers, if depending on what sample size you're looking at over the season, are the worst rush defense of any defense in the playoffs. And as I said before, the Bengals are expected to win, you know, 70% chance or so. 
So at some point they're going to be up and at some point they're going to be leaning on Mixon. I think he is the best player in the Cincinnati offense. No question, man. And if anyone's looking at this and saying, well, Samaja Piran got a decent amount of work in the regular season. That's the regular season. I, you, oftentimes you're going to see a lot of these players that were spelling other guys get very, very minimal work in the postseason because the purpose is for the, the starter to get not rested, obviously, but at the running back position to stay fresh. And as Joe Mixon, someone that has an injury history, missed like 10 games last year. This is this is one of those guys where, Matt, I would not be shocked to see his snap count uh, through the roof this week, which just makes him that much more appealing. I mean, I don't see any reason anyone else is getting any more than a carry or two in this offense. You're talking about Samaji Pirine and Chris Evans. I uh, It just week 16, 82% snaps for, for Joe Mixon, 71% in week 17. I think you're looking probably at another 85, 80, 85% snap game for Mixon, which is just too tough to get away from. Absolutely. Yep. You're seeing the snaps for the bell cow running backs increase in the playoffs across the board. And that's what we're going to expect for Joe Mixon here, especially especially in crunch time or in the red zone. Don't expect any other player back there. In week 16 and 17, the last two games that Mixon played, he had 10 total red zone touches. So we're, I am not concerned that once they get close to the goal line, Mixon is going to be utilized either through the air or on the ground. All right. Anything else for this team? You know, I don't really think so. I think you could argue that the Bengals' defense should be on pe- people's lists here. You know, things could implode for the Derek Carr-led Raiders. Not saying that's the most likely thing here, but I think the Bengals' defense at a pretty decent salary looks like a solid value play. I think any defense. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, at that point, any defense. Uh, I think Usama is a really, really good option this week too, especially if you're stacking. He's really the only cheap wide res- or tight end that, that I'm looking to get to at this point. So uh, real, there aren't a lot. You know, unless you're looking for a Janu Smith to get an end zone target or something, you know, or Foster Moreau, you think he's going to get enough work? I don't. Uh, Usama is probably the one guy that, that stands out to me as one of the cheaper options. I think he's perfectly fine. And we've seen him with some big games earlier in the year. I'm not saying it happens, but it's a, a clear non-zero chance, percent chance that, that he gets there this week. So uh, especially in Bengals stacks, that's something I feel pretty good about. All right, so let's move this one on New England and Buffalo, and then we'll talk uh, the Sunday slate. Hit that thumbs up too if you haven't done so yet. Someone said, can we please stop with the overlords? There aren't, I, I'm not serious about that, fella, uh, but it does. there is an algorithm here. So you have to feed. That's how it works. It's YouTube, man. Um, oh, we have free content too today. If you're playing NBA, ownership projections entirely free and NHL player rankings are totally free as well. Uh, and if you want to get in on everything, get 25% off your first week ownership top stack tool for all sports, not just basketball or football, but every sport we have. We got PGA today as well. Uh, MMA, you name it, ownership projections, top stack tool, boom bust, top golfer tool, right? Like everything we have on every sport for Yahoo, DraftKings, FanDuel, you name it, all of them. Use the promo code NFL Strategy Show, all one word, all caps. When you go to awesomeo.com slash join, get 25% off your first week of Awesome o Plus Platinum. All these tools built by Awesomeo himself, Alex Baker. Uh, clearly, you know who he is. 
All right, Matt, New England. Here's an interesting one because the first time they one of the games you essentially just throw out the window because of the win, right? Right. But I will say, I think people are sleeping on the fact that Buffalo comes into this game play with a different game plan. I'm telling you right now, they're running the football more with success. They have not had the, the hardest matchups re recently, but the Patriots have not won their games and gotten into the playoffs because they have an incredible offense, right? That's not the case. Their offense is fine, probably above average, but not great. So I don't see why Buffalo can't once again look to use the run game pretty heavily with Devin Singletary, as they've done now for the past five weeks with great success. One of those games was against the Patriots. Sure, Singletary only had 12 carries, but he was targeted six times and still saw almost 20 opportunities. So interesting game. I think it looks different than all of the other ones, particularly the win game did. But we'll kick it off with New England. What are you doing here with the skill players starting at running back? All right. I am fine playing a New England running back. This is the way they want to play football, especially in the playoffs. Say what you want about it being a narrative, but Bill Belichick wants to win this game with defense and running the football. We all know that. Let's see if they can actually get it done. I actually think that we are underrating how much the cold weather will have, will have an effect here. I know it doesn't mean the same thing as when we have high winds. We don't see passing uh, attacks plummet in the same way. But the game time temperature is expected to be three degrees in Orchard Park and feel closer to negative 10. I don't know if it's like that as the night goes on and it gets later and later and that Buffalo wind kicks up. It, if this game really comes down to who wants to tackle more. And honestly, that sounds like the kind of game Bill Belichick dreams of in his sleep. And so I do wonder if this game ends up going under its total, which is already at 44. And I, though I think it was extreme, like you said, in that wind game where the New England offense just passed three times, that was probably an outlier. I still think that it's going to be a very, very rush-focused game script for Mac Jones and company. So Damian Harris, I'm fine with him. Ramondre Stevenson and Brandon Bolden are kind of the players that I'm kind of leaning on in tournaments because if Harris is hurt or just isn't 100%, I know that New England doesn't really care about who they want to use in their backfield. So Stevenson at 4,700, he seems really interesting to me. The Buffalo defense is no joke, but they have been a little bit easier to run against than pass upon for most of the year. For sure. Um, you know, I was watching a documentary the other day on the coldest town on earth, Matt. Okay. Yakuts. Okay, it's it's in it's in Siberia, and the temperatures drop as, as low as like minus 71, minus 73 Celsius. And these people, if you bring something outside, if you if you bring a pot of water outside, you throw it up in the air. By the time it leaves the bucket, it's froze, right? Just ice. Okay, it's insane. It's insane. It gets cold. That sounds in the terrible. Oh, awful. People live there too. Like kids trek to school, and they just they they can deal with it. Not for me. Not for me. Call me what you will, but I couldn't do that. My point in saying that is. It's going to be cold in Buffalo. Hell, the high here the other day in, in the, the suburbs of Philadelphia was like 15, 16. I still took the dog for the walk, for a walk. I still survived. Now, I'm not going out there as an offensive lineman with no sleeves on. I'm not insane, right? I mean, I should. I had gloves on and thermals. But I had people commenting in, 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 on the, after the fact on one of our shows earlier this week saying, 
Lafayette, you're wrong about that. The weather's going to be just like it was when they faced earlier this year, which is just entirely untrue. There's not going to be the same wind. Like, these players would much rather play in frigid temperatures. It's going to suck. The tie's going to be like three, or it's going to be like three degrees at game time. It's going to suck. There's no doubt about it. But Josh Allen played at Wyoming. You know, Mac Jones plays in New England. It's cold. It gets cold in Buffalo, as we know. Um, but they're not, they're, you're not going to have those wins. These wins are not going to be anything like they were. So do I agree with you that it's going to be a run-focused approach for, for New England? Sure. They already run the football a ton. Will they run it a little bit more? Will it be skewed a bit? Yes. But three pass attempts, I don't see that. Now, in the same breath, I don't really like the pass-catching options that much anyway. Uh, their passing attack is not that great. I like Damian Harris a lot, and I think that he will lead the way here, and Ramadre Stevenson probably gets a little bit less work. If you're desperate for a running back that's cheap, I think Brandon Bolden could get, you know, four to six targets, which is interesting. But the passing game, like, I'm with you. I think it's going to be rushing-focused. But you cannot compare this to a game where, where the football literally went sideways when you tried to kick a field goal. It's totally, totally different. Yeah, I agree. Here's what's surprising to me. I wasn't on the passing game for this New England offense at all until I saw that, you know, if you look at our props tool, the biggest over we have right now is on Jacoby Myers, 40.5. We haven't projected for nearly 55 receiving yards. I I'm going to have to work through my weather bias in order to see how that happens here. And I know Buffalo has been a little bit tougher to pass on since Trey White went down for the year, but we're still talking about a team who is top eight in the NFL in yards per pass attempt allowed and top three in the NFL in points per play allowed. I just don't see Mac Jones coming into Buffalo and dominating through the air. I, I see a scenario where New England wins, but doesn't it seem like if they do, it's because one of those or multiple of those running backs hit and they did just enough for sure. offensively? Yeah. Oh, no. I, look, I'm with you. I'm, I'm saying I, it's just we can't compare the two. Well, it's not an apples to apples situation. That's all I'm saying. Like the wins are the wins were terrible, terrible. Um, but I like Damian Harris this week. Listen, when it comes to the goal line opportunities, that guy is going to get them. And when you've got that two touchdown, three touchdown upside, let me get it, man. Like uh, against, against this Buffalo team, he had three rushing touchdowns just a few weeks ago. I'm not calling for that again, but Damian Harris is going to get a lot of work. I really like him this week. I just don't really want to get to the pass catchers all that much is what I'm saying. I, I, and, and by the way, Damian Harris is not projected for 25% ownership on a two-game slate. It is extraordinarily low for a team that wants to run the football against the inferior run defense. So he's my top play from this side. Who's yours? I think I think I agree with you in a vacuum, but I'm going to be fading him because I'm going to be using New England players as one-offs in tournament rosters mostly. So I want players who are going to have lower ownership. I, I totally get it. Harris can can fit here. Probably my highest owned player is going to be Jacoby Myers, and I don't love it. All right. Well, hey. Oh, oh wait. In the passing game or, in or on the team in general? Team in general. Okay. Are you getting to any stacks for New England? I, I haven't yet as I've built out my lineups. I'm not totally against it, but – you know, we're talking about a player in Mac Jones who's averaging like 222 passing yards per game and playing a Buffalo defense, which is 
you know, besides the New England defense, the best defense overall in the playoffs. So I think it's super low probability and not something you need to get to if just playing a few lineups. All right. So on the other side of this one, Buffalo gets interesting. And and, and again, like I said, I do think this is a run-heavy approach. I really like Damian Harris, but I also like Singletary again. He they finally, after years, three, you know, almost three years, came to the realization that, that he's the real deal. I mean, Singletary's a good player. You can use him as a three-down back. You guys are tired of me saying this, but I'm gonna keep saying it until everyone acknowledges that. Well, that I was right, Matt. No, that, that this well, guy. Did is you actually- hear one of the rumors going around right now? Is that the sixty-nine thousand four hundred and twentieth subscriber was the Buffalo Bills, and they finally listened to you because you've been saying this for two seasons. You really yeah. have about Devin Singletary specifically. How if they were able to just make themselves a little bit more balanced, that they would be they would be able to unlock. And it feels like they're really leading that way, right? You know, we've seen him get so many opportunities, especially over the last two games, 23 opportunities against Atlanta in week 17, 19 opportunities, including six in the red zone last weekend. The only thing I'm concerned about is we're using a sample size against the Jets and the Falcons, and then we're trying to project how he's going to do against the Patriots. But Agreed. Agreed. Now, we have one recent game against them. He, He only had 12 carries, but he did have a rushing touchdown. He's also targeted six times. I want to tell you this, though. I don't think that Singletary – I think Singletary's ownership is fine. It's, we have him at, like, 52%. I don't think he should be more than twice as popular as Damian Harris, though. I really don't. I know he has the pass-catching upside. Understandable. But there's also still a running, uh, quarterback that can take the ball in from, from goal line scenarios or inside the 10. I like Devin Singletary a lot this week, but I don't think he should be twice as, as highly owned as Damian Harris because – Damian Harris will get the goal line work. He has legitimate 20 plus carry upside uh, in this game as well. So save for the fact that the Singletary does have more uh, receiving upside. And I love that. Um, I, I, I think they should be a little bit closer in ownership, but if Buffalo's smart, Matt, they keep giving this guy carries and they're favored in this game at home, cold weather. And it, it feels like he should get a lot of work. Once again, I don't see why he wouldn't. Looks good on paper. He's basically taken over that backfield from all other players. Zach Moss and uh, Matt Breida are complete afterthoughts here. So, yeah, as you said, the concern here is Josh Allen's still getting about 50% of the rushes inside the 10. Uh, There was a game where Singletary actually ended up hitting in the fourth quarter of that game, but Josh Allen had two scramble TDs in the first quarter. This team is definitely moving towards a slightly more balanced approach. I will add, though, in our advanced stats tool, which only goes through week 17 right now, they are still third highest, third, the third most pass-heavy team in schedule-adjusted rush rate. And uh, in game adjusted pace of play, they're a little bit slower. They're they're middle of the middle of the pack. Here's the thing I'm concerned about, though. If New England's rushing a lot and Buffalo is balanced compared to Las Vegas, Cincinnati, which is going to have a lot of passes, you could have like 60 percent of the plays total plays in this New England Buffalo game compared to Las Vegas, Cincinnati. So if you're talking about just a two game slate, I'm actually a little bit bearish on this game overall. I'll play any of the big Buffalo options. We should get into it for a minute, but I am actually a little bit wary about playing these players. That's fair. Antoine says Jacobs is a better play than Harris anyway. He's also, again, getting 53% projected ownership. 
Uh, so is Devin Singletary. They're both at 53%. Harris is at 25. So on a two game slate, when I have, you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that he should be projected the highest. I'm saying that when you have multiple touchdown upside as Harris very clearly does, and we've seen that a lot recently, um, and their tendency or inclination to run the football as much as they can in a three degree temperature game where they already want to run the football. Yeah. I, I think Harris at 25% should be, should be less than that, but look, Buffalo is a weird one in the passing game, Matt, because Emmanuel Sanders is back, but he hadn't been great this year. Anyway, outside of early in the season, shit, Dave, Gabriel Davis had 14 targets last game, only hauled in three of them, but you have Stefan Diggs, you have Dawson Knox, Cole Beasley. They have a lot of players in the passing game uh, that can make our lives miserable. Uh, and, of course, Josh Allen, who is going to be right now the highest-owned quarterback on the slate. Oh, actually, him and Joe – wow, him and Joe, he's below Joe Burrow. That's surprising. I kind of get it. Just, just again, I said I've said it like three times already, but it's the game environment, the expected game environment sure. here. Josh Allen's ceiling is the highest on the slate, honestly, because of the way that this game looks. I'm probably skinny stacking Josh Allen if I'm choosing to play him because I think his true ceiling game, at least here, comes by scoring on the ground a couple times. So obviously, Stephon Diggs is the top option in this receiving core. We have him slightly below salary-based expectations in our projections. Who cares? It's a small slate. You need to make these kinds of adjustments. When we're talking about small slates, there are only a few players, regardless of game environment, who can score and produce on this two-game slate like Stefan Diggs. Cole Beasley always pops in our projections. He's at a 20% target share in the last five games that he's played. And you mentioned it, Gabriel Davis, along with Dawson Knox and surprisingly Isaiah McKenzie, they all have between an 11 and 15% target share in their last four games. So I think they all fall into the dart throw category, but on this two game slate, I'm not against any of them. I'm probably not playing two of them though. Caleb said, I love you guys, but this Raiders hate is wild. I, I didn't think I was hating on the Raiders. I, I loved Zay Jones. Uh, Waller, like I said, at the position, maybe if you're saying like the Raiders are just that we're saying they're going to lose. I, I I think it's going to be a shootout. I have, dude, if I were taking one side of this game, if I had, I'm not betting sides here, probably take the Raiders five points because Cincinnati, they, they have no playoff experience here. I, I think this game stays competitive for sure. But anyway, Matt, let's talk about prize picks before we get to this Sunday slate. If you haven't done so yet, there's a couple of things you need to do, right? First of all, you should play at prize picks because the platform's awesome. People love it. And you see the screenshots coming in all the time. It's getting more popular by the day for good reason. But that doesn't mean it becomes tougher because you're not just going in there and playing against other people who are using the, that are using tools and, and, and optimizers and stuff. No, you can use our tools entirely for free, like Odd Shopper, which is huge for something like this. Our free player prop tools over at Awesomeo. And more than anything, you get a free month of Awesome Plus Platinum when you sign up over at Prize Picks, which is a daily player prop platform. There's no juice on either side. You're just taking the over or the under, and there's a legitimate edge there. You're just building lineups with props. You could do a five-player lineup, 10x your entry fee. If you hit four, though, unlike a traditional book where you just bust one leg out, if, if one leg busts and you're still not making anything, you hit four or five, you're still 2xing your money. Like it's a great way to make money and hit big, but also to build your bankroll and really sustain it over the long run. You get a free month of Awesome Up Plus Platinum, $90 value, all of our tools, every sport. All you have to do is use the link that Jordan Klein's going to put in the chat or already did, give him the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, he did. 
or the one in the description, link in the description below. If you want to check it out, free month of Awesome Plus Platinum. Just wait 24, 48 hours. We'll email you, get your free month, get into the premium Discord chat, the office hours where you got the pros helping you better your game, all of our tools for every sport available to you. And when you sign up, though, use the promo code AWESEMO, A-W-E-S-E-M-O, because you also get $100 first match deposit bonus. It's a win-win-win. No reason whatsoever not to do it at all. Um, like, even if you don't think you're going to play much on prize picks, you still get a free month of AWESEMO plus Platinum and up to $100 deposit bonus. It's crazy. So check it out. Use our free tools, too, for prize picks. Uh, and, of course, download it in the App Store, Google Play Store, or go to prizepicks.com. Very cool site. You'll enjoy it. Get the free month, get the hundred dollar deposit bonus and head on over there today. Sponsor of the strategy show, prizepicks.com. All right, Matt, Philly and Tampa Bay. Let's keep it simple here. The weather could actually help Philly. And I, I said it earlier. I'm not, I'm not hitting Philly here. I mean, do I think they can cover eight and a half? Sure. Eight and a half. So in the NFL, eight and a half is easy to cover, even if you're not the greatest team, but I know this is the big thing. Is Tampa's run defense spectacular? Yes. But this is exactly what I said when they faced the, the Saints, and I will say it again. Everyone said that they're going to lean on the ground or they're going to lean on the, on the passing game because they can't develop a run game. Going into that Saints game, and I know they were dealing with some COVID injuries, but mostly offensively, going into that game, the Saints actually were number one in run defense in yards per attempt and yards allowed per game, not Tampa Bay. The Eagles ran for 250 yards on them. So I don't think they're just going to abandon the run here. I think they will run. Uh, I think those wins are going to benefit them as well. Uh, and that makes this really interesting as we work our way over to the Sunday slate. So does that mean I love the running backs? Not at all, especially given that we don't know if Miles Sanders plays. Jordan Howard, uh, I don't know if he's 100% yet. Boston Scott, like it's kind of a mess. But from an overall game strategy standpoint, I don't know if we should just be saying, yeah, they're going to throw 50 times because there's zero chance you win by doing that against the Bucs. You're muted. Sorry about that. You know, I will say this. I think that the, the most likely outcome in this game, even in the rain, it, if the Eagles are to keep it close, it's because they ran well. But if you just look at the metrics – the Buccaneers are actually the biggest pass funnel defense in the playoffs, and they rival they rival the the Bengals, excuse me, in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses. So it's not impossible to pass on the Buccaneers, especially when you know that often the Buccaneers have passed so often that they're scoring a lot of points, forcing their opponents into a pass heavy and usually a faster game script. I agree with you, though, the way that this goes even remotely well for Philadelphia is they run the ball decently. Not sure who it is. And honestly, I just think it comes down to the decision making of Jalen Hurts. He's going to have to tuck it and run sometimes in this likely sloppy weather game here. 70 degrees Fahrenheit expected at game time, but 20 mile per hour winds means you know, he might not be able to throw it very often. And so, you know, we could see a very college-esque option run game. Uh, and, you know, it, it is easier to beat the Buccaneers through the air. But in this game, it could it, it could go better than expected here. I just got to remember, these are low probability plays, except for Jalen Hurts, I would say. For sure. What I'm saying, Matt, isn't that they don't throw the ball. It's that if you're expecting them to completely abandon the run, 
Nick Sirianni and anyone with a brain knows that you're not, that's not how you're going to beat Tampa. Like you're, <clears throat> yes, they're a pass funnel defense. So you're, so you might be being like Laffy, what do you mean? That's completely counterintuitive. It's not though, because their passing game isn't good. So just give the ball back to Tom Brady and let them march down the field on you. You're better off trying to control time of possession. That's just logic right there. It really is. You're better off moving the football down the field, trying to do so methodically, pick up five yards per attempt on the ground um, and, and, and lean on the ground. That's the only way you win. It's the only way you win. If they abandon the run, uh, they're going to get smoked, but you're going to get some big games from them. They might get smoked anyway, Matt, uh, and then have to throw if they're down a lot early because Jonathan Gannon doesn't make decent adjustments until halftime. And if you do that against a good team, you're, you're done. Uh, but I, I do I, want to add this. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Please. I do want to add this, that over their last three games played, Tampa Bay was actually bottom 10 in the NFL in yards allowed per carry. And I know they had like a playoff spot basically locked up, but they and were one of those was of against playing. the Jets, by the way. Exactly. There are some suspect things about this defense. You know, I was looking at the stats from a couple weeks ago and they were up in the top seven in yards per carry allowed. They're seven. They finished the season 17th in the NFL in yards allowed per rush attempt. I, I'm going to just because they're a big pass funnel does not mean they're impossible to beat on the ground. In fact, compared to previous seasons, right. this is a very different Tampa Bay defensive line. We're still it talking is. about low probability outcomes, but yeah. A little glimmer of hope for Philadelphia. Look, 121, going back to week 13, 121 rushing yards to Atlanta, 173 to Buffalo, 150 to the Jets. They had two games in between there with New Orleans and Carolina where they didn't allow much at all. But 150 to the Jets. Carter had that, like, 50-yard run to start the game off. Uh, 110 to to Carolina last week. The Eagles are going – all I'm saying is they're going to do what they can to run the ball. That's all. Uh, and if Miles Sanders does play, he would be my guy for sure, uh, assuming he's not limited. Mind you, there's a hand injury. It's not a hamstring or lower body, right? It's not his ankle again. So if he plays, I'm going into this one assuming that he's good to go and he will be the lead back. So Sanders at that price point would be a guy that I like. In the passing game, I'll take some shots on Devontae Smith because he's good and he can make elite, insanely acrobatic athletic catches downfield, and that's important in a spot like this. But um, my, my favorite pass catching option is just always going to be Dallas Goddard, who, in my opinion, is wildly underpriced here. Uh, and while they will run, they still have to throw against the Tampa team whose offense is going to score points. Give me give me a lot of Zach Ertz this weekend. That's too cheap. He should be in the five thousands for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, Dallas Goddard, in terms of our big board, again, referencing that a lot more this week, he is our top overall tight end meaning he is the best combination of floor ceiling and value you know a player like Gronkowski on the other side of the ball is 6400 Dallas Goddard who could have as many targets here probably not but could have as many targets as Gronkowski at 4500 that's going to help you do a whole lot more with the rest of your lineup we saw uh in week 17 when he last played we saw seven targets he had a nine target game in week 15 I, I don't think that there's going to be any one player on the Eagles who we see just completely rack up a huge target share, as good as Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard are. But if you're talking about probability of getting seven-plus targets, I think the probability is actually kind of high for both. So these Jalen Hurts skinny stack, 
I think I might be a little over the field on both and Dallas Goddard, the best, the best overall value in this pass catching core. For sure. Oh, and I'm with you on Hertz because I don't see any way that they don't use his legs in this game, right? Like there's no way, especially with the win. Uh, I think you're going to see him run. He had two rushing touchdowns against them earlier in the season as well. So uh, yeah, I, any, anytime you have a rushing quarterback, you have to like them. And, and that's kind of where I'm at here. They don't need to win. I think Jalen Hurts still has a good game. Chronic Smith says, I love this show. I really like this show. I really appreciate you guys, but why are we only covering five games? There are no five game slates available on DK. Um, no, we're covering the Saturday slate, which we did individually. And then we're covering the Sunday slate individually. This is not covering the, the full six game slate because those contests are, are significantly smaller. So we already covered Saturday slate on its own. And now we're covering the Sunday slate on its own. We thought that would be the best way to go about this for you guys who want to come back to this uh, after Saturday. All right. Um, Matt, with Tampa Bay, it might not seem like a big deal, but Cyril Grayson is doubtful for this game, right? I, I'm, I see Q tags on Evans and Perriman. I assume they play, but that probably opens things up if Grayson's out for Tyler Johnson. Uh, 13 targets over his last two games. Uh, he's cheap. Leonard Fournette was designated to return from the IR. There's a good chance that he plays this week, and Ronald Jones is doubtful as well. So a couple actual significant injury spots to be paying attention to for Tampa Bay going into Sunday. Yeah, I think Leonard Fournette plays, and if he does play, he looks like the best play on the slate just from the fact that you play in DFS, you play running backs at home who are favored by not eight or nine points, depending on where you're looking at it. We're talking about a 75 to 80% win probability for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here. And Leonard Fournette, especially with Ronald Jones expected to be out, I don't think Le'Veon Bell is going to suddenly become a bell cow here. If Fournette can play, I think he steps back into a huge role and has a great uh, game script at least I don't know if the environment is going to be great with that weather but I do think they are going to lean on him plenty often and the Eagles are pretty darn good against the run they're top six in the NFL in yards per carry this season they were 14th over their last three games so they slipped a little bit but still they're they're legit I still don't think it matters just from a from a just a DFS fundamentals perspective you play starting running backs with this many opportunities when they're expected to win at home. Well, especially when you're down Godwin, you're down, uh, you're down Antonio Brown. You still have Evans and Gronk, sure. And, and, and Tom Brady likes to spread the ball around. But even when they were at, at 100%, Leonard Fournette was averaging like seven to nine targets per game. So, you know, I, his, his pass catching upside here is way too significant. And he gets targets in the red zone to ignore uh, I think Leonard Fournette is, you want to talk about wildly underpriced? There's no way Fournette should be this close in price to Edwards Allaire and Miles Sanders and Daryl Williams and Tony Pollard and Ronald Jones. Like he's 300, he's $200 more expensive than Ronald Jones. It's insanity. It doesn't make any sense. And it's really priced up. Usually they do something where they price him up in anticipation of him coming back. It almost feels like the ball was was dropped a little bit. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, it, it makes no sense. He's the best value on the slate if he plays. And, you know, we got to mention here, it looks like this team is just hurting overall offensively to the point where I'm worried about them. I, I think Awesome Yo was saying this in the chat here. You know, they're signing John Brown off the street. Like, that's not a good sign headed into your playoff matchup. Maybe they get by Philadelphia, but 
I don't know. This is this definitely looks like a tough road without without Antonio Brown, obviously, without Chris Godwin, beat up backfield, and we've seen Tom Brady do it before, but this is this one's gonna be tough. Yeah, I, I think Gronk eats them up, man. I do. I, I think Gronk uh, is in a stellar spot. I, let me let me put it to you very simply, Matt. This is this is kind of how I'm looking at this one. I've already said the Eagles can stay competitive if they're capable of controlling time of possession, really just, just moving the ball methodically downfield. I know that's super cliche to say, but it's a hundred percent true. And it's the way that they've won games this season. All right. Look at how their defense has played against good offenses. Go back to Mahomes. go back to Brady, go back to Justin Herbert, go back to uh, Dak Prescott in week three. They got torched by, okay. They haven't won a single game against an above 500 team all year. Maybe, maybe the Saints are above 500, but they didn't have anybody in that game. I can't remember. Either way, bad stuff, right? So the, the, the Patriots, or sorry, the Bucs are going to move the football. I will go to Mike Evans. I will go to Gron- Gronkowski. I'll go to Fournette. Uh, I just don't really have any objections to anybody on the offensive side of the ball for Tampa. I don't. And I know it's going to be windy. I know. Sustained with. But I, I'm still going to get to, to quite a bit of them this week. Of course, of course, they're they're in great spots if you took away the weather and the Eagles are dead last in the NFL in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the tight end position. Now that tends to be highly variable, but when we got some Philly guys in chat and you kind of adding on to it saying that this is a real vulnerability here. Okay, now I'll start to layer that that on as well. I do think that Gronkowski is the highest probability option, but you know, Evans could have one of those two catches, two touchdown games here as well. If if Brady sees an exploitable matchup, he will pick on it all game long until the Philadelphia defense does stop, something to stop it. And it's hard to pick, say what that's going to be before the game, but I do think he eventually finds it. Uh, someone said Gronk will be locked down and forced the ball to others. They're going to do it. You can't lock down him and Mike Evans, especially with the linebacking core they have. I. I I'll go to all of them, honestly. And Slay's good. Slay's, Darius Slay's good. But put, put a good quarterback out there. Let's see what happens when Mike Evans catches multiple touchdowns. All I'm saying is don't be afraid to get to these guys. Uh, Tyler Johnson, too, I have no problem with, assuming that Cyril Grayson's out uh, just as a low-owned option. He's only 13% projected ownership right now. I love them all. I love Fournette as well. Uh, and Tampa Stacks, despite the weather, should be in everybody's uh, in the forefront of everybody's attention. All right, Matt, San Francisco, Dallas. Hey, one more time. We got almost 300 people watching on a Thursday show. This is awesome. Hit that thumbs up for us. Help us get to I think we can get to 100. We're at 83. We need 17 to get to 100. Very, very doable here. If you're uh, if you forgot, no sweat. I don't blame you. If you're watching on your phone, click out a chat. You can hit that thumbs up and pop right back in there. Helps us greatly. And as Jeff asked me to say, help us combat the YouTube overlords. All right, so talk to me about San Francisco here. This is an upset brewing, Matt. I can smell it in the air. And this is not the homerism in me. I said in the beginning of the year before it started, San Francisco is a damn good team, way better than they were last year when the entire squad was injured. Uh, I I think this game is super competitive, and they've got the weapons to make things happen with Eli Mitchell, with George Kittle, with Debo, Jimmy G coming back with a great 17-0 comeback from down 17-0 last week. their secondary is, has some struggles, but this is a good San Francisco team, man. They're a very good team. Nobody wants to play the San Francisco nope. 49ers right nope. now. 
who are, in my opinion, one of the most battle-hardened. I don't like these, these war metaphors we're always making in football, but seriously, they have been tested all season long playing in that brutal, brutal NFC West. You got to give credit to that division and as well as the AFC North. Those teams beat up on each other all season long to the point where this game against Dallas isn't going to feel more intense than a lot of those late season divisional matchups that they had going down the stretch here. And just to start things off, Eli Mitchell in the four games that he's played since week 11, he has the third highest opportunity share. That's just share of total team opportunities, uh, targets and rushes in the entire NFL, higher than Joe Mixon. You know, we're talking about on the same level as Alvin Kamara, 42.3% average. Now it's been down a little bit since he came back from injury, but in week 17, we saw him get nearly 40% of the San Francisco 49ers total opportunity. So now you're talking about a running back who is kind of in the mid salary range. Like, absolutely. I'll take Eli Mitchell, especially if we think the upset potential is as high as it is. I, I still think that the Cowboys are the more likely team to win. But this three-point spread right now kind of telling me that it's basically just the home field advantage. These teams are essentially a wash. Um, And and while the San Francisco 49ers passing attack has been volatile in terms of its overall production, you know who the big names are. I'm not telling you not to play George Kittle or Debo Samuel. Find spots here because the Cowboys are not a world beater defensively either. For sure. So, ultimately, we have a we have George Kittle too uh, over at Odd Shopper. You want to talk about a prop that we really like this week? He struggled recently, just in terms of overall opportunities. And, and last week it was really strange. He had like five receptions for ten yards, but in a postseason game uh, with a fifty and a half point total, he's got a fifty and a half point or fifty and a half yard receiving prop over at DraftKings, because at Odd Shopper, it just gives you where the best bet is. You don't have to look for it. So whatever book is available to you, whether you're in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, wherever state it's, it's, it's open to you, uh, whatever books are there, we've got him well projected well over this, 78.6 receiving yards. Uh, that's what's so cool about Odd Shopper is, well, it's free, so you can check it out if you want. You don't need me to tell you. But our projections are right there. Uh, our expected ROI is right there. Uh, the expected win rate on these props is right there, just built by all of our amazing data scientists behind the scenes that are also uh, pro betters, pro DFS players. They're the ones that are doing this. Uh, and yeah, you find you say, okay, where's the best bet for this? Boom, DraftKings right there. George Kittle, we have projected with a 32% expected ROI on the over. So yeah, anytime you can get that, I'm going to take it. Uh, I agree with you on Mitchell as well. But once again, going back to this, DraftKings pricing is odd. Kittle's at 5,800 in a 50.5 total game. I like that. Granted, I also like Kelsey. I also like Gronk. There's a lot of places to go, but I'm not shying away from Kittle here just because he's had a couple uh, underwhelming games lately. That's all. Yeah, it's like uh, we would be lucky to have these many top end tight ends on a main slate. We get them in a three game slate. It's kind of ridiculous. And just to add on to how good Odd Chopper has been, when New York sports betting went live at 9 a.m. Eastern time last Saturday, by 9.30, it was loading with the New York tab for me so I could get my latest New York bet information. It was awesome. Uh, I've got a couple degenerate friends who have already expanded into the prop betting game in sports. They don't even understand because they just text me, just do what Odd Shopper says. It's literally that simple. Back yep. to it. I, I mean, I, I think this, 
I, I think this tight end is where I want to spend my salary on the Sunday slate. I know we've got other players, but I think I can find value options in players like Leonard Fournette. So yeah, I, I agree with you here. George Kittle, while he doesn't necessarily have the same exact floor and ceiling projection as a player like Kelsey, we've seen Kittle have you know, some of the best performances by a tight end in NFL history this season. We know 100, 150 yards is truly in his range of outcomes. Not saying it's going to happen here. The excuse me, the Dallas defense is about league average in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. But once again, they do lean towards being a pass funnel. I think we are going to see a lot of points in this game. Sure. And Danny Green in chat said Kittle could hit that with two catches. Yeah, that's what you love about him, man. Insane after the catch ability. Uh, he can be used essentially as a wide receiver or as a receiver, which which I absolutely love. Uh, Matt, where are you going on the opposite side with Dallas? You've got uh, Ezekiel Elliott, who just it's a down season, if we're being honest, efficiency wise. Uh, I don't know what type of workload Pollard gets, but then you've got Lamb. You have Dalton Schultz throw last week's game out the window. They were playing backups, but Schultz still did find the end zone twice. He's got eight on the season now. Amari. Gallup's on the IR, so maybe we look at like a, a Cedric Wilson as a as a low end dart throw. But where do you go with uh, Dallas offense? A lot of mouths to feed here. Yeah, and I think the salary is a little too high on all of them to say that any one of them is a priority. So I'm not going to tell you that Ceedee Lamb is a bad play at 7,300. I think if he were around 68, 6,900, 6, I'd be all over it. And then you're talking about Amari Cooper, who's 7,100. You're not getting really any discount. This is on FanDuel, by the way. So I do think that there there is some pricing discrepancies on, on DraftKings that Ezekiel Elliott in a, in a game script where they do get ahead looks okay on DraftKings at 6,100, but I'm not going to tell you it's a priority play. I'd rather save my salary and, you know, even like 6,700 for a player like Kelsey seems more appealing than 6,100 Ezekiel Elliott. I'll find some, some way to save that salary and get up there. No, Raymond, we did not forget about Mitchell. We actually talked about him quite a bit. Matt said how much he liked him at his price. And uh, I agree. If you're getting that type of workload, no matter what 20 plus carries, um, yeah, go to Eli Mitchell any day of the week. Who are your top plays from Dallas? So, I'm, again, I'm going to go to the big board here and see that we don't really have a singular player in the priority category, but we do have C.D. Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, and Dak Prescott all firmly in the you can play them at their at their current salary. They are, are right around salary-based expectations in our projections. So right now, C.D. Lamb is coming up as the highest uh, owned player in my in my current player pool. But if you told me that it's Amari Cooper at 7,100, that actually ends up with a bigger game here against the San Francisco defense, also right around league average and schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed, no qualms with that. Really, I'm just kind of playing them as, as one-offs. And uh, I guess I do have one or two here with two of them, but... It's because I don't really know. I'm just kind of taking shots and knowing that there's a ceiling game in there somewhere. All right, let's wrap this one up with Pittsburgh and Kansas City. Of course, like I said, we'll have a ton of showdown content for the Monday slate uh, and a lot more shows coming up throughout the week for the Saturday and Sunday slate. Deeper Dive Live Before Locks, On the Contrary, you name it, we got you covered. Uh, but appreciate you guys being with us on this Thursday slate. Also, over 100 likes, so thank you. And subscribe to the channel if you want to join us here. Uh, Matt. 
Pittsburgh's not a good team. I still think 12 and a half points is a lot. Call me crazy. If I had to take one side of this, I'm taking the points. 12 and a half points is still a lot, no matter how bad Roethlisberger's been. But bad teams can still produce, or sorry, bad offenses can still produce good players. And it feels like Najee Harris will be busy in the passing game here. I would also assume that Deontay Johnson is going to be busy in the passing game. The problem with him is he's great just from a PPR standpoint, but it's really difficult to get the the production from him from a yardage standpoint with how Roethlisberger has been unable to throw downfield. They haven't been able to create much after the catch, uh, and they're not getting a ton of red zone opportunities either right now. So that's the problem I have with Deontay Johnson, especially at his price. Yeah, I feel like we did kind of miss the val the true value window for Deontay Johnson when he was kind of going overlooked in his just his probability of having a dozen or more targets. You can only say that about a few wide receivers any week. And while that's certainly possible here, and Kansas City has still struggled overall defensively, they've kind of cleaned things up. They're really closer to league average in most passing metrics they're 14th in the nfl in points allowed per play they're right at they're actually above the league average in terms of playoff teams in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed so i agree with you that Najee harris and deontay johnson are the volume plays of this offense but i think it was uh it, uh, formerly of awesome now of nbc sports it was kyle dvorak said some i'm par- paraphrasing a tweet if you loved seeing Pittsburgh get beat 36 to 10 in in week 16, you're going to love them being beat 52 to 9 in week 19. Uh because that's just kind of how it feels to me. Uh Yeah, it, you're right. I I'm actually not taking the points. I think they're going to get smoked. Probably. But 12 and a half points in a playoff it's still a lot. I mean, 13 and a half you'd prefer, right? 12 and a half's tough because you're coming in right below that key number, but uh does, do you not want anything from from Pittsburgh, Kansas City? Oh, well, certainly. Pittsburgh? Well, I'm sorry, for, from Pittsburgh. Yeah, that would be insanity, as you might say, Laffy. But from a from a expected fantasy point standpoint, I'm fine getting to Najee Harris. You know, you're talking about 18 expected fantasy points on a three game slate. You can absolutely play that running back with that kind of volume. It's 6600. It's it's not so bad, I guess. I guess my favorite player is Deontay Johnson in terms of of just like ceiling and floor here. You could say double digit targets probably in his range of outcomes. And Ben Roethlisberger prop up one receiver he can, but I don't think he can prop up two, period. I really don't. And I don't think the Kansas City defense is going to give up two ceiling games here. So at 6,700, you can prioritize other players. I think Kelsey is the exact same salary. So I can't say Deontay Johnson is a better player than him, but he's firmly in the you can play him category. All right. We've got the fan up NFL stream coming up right after this with Greg and Ryan. So don't go anywhere. Jordan, same stream, right? Yep. Fan up. They got a monster contest coming up for this week. Matt, we're up against it. Uh, so hit me with Casey. I think the analysis shouldn't be too difficult here. Very high total, biggest spread of the week. But uh, break this down for us. And again, yeah, plenty of content coming up throughout the week if you think we missed anything. Definitely, guys. Keep it tuned here all weekend long. I'm prioritizing Kelsey over Hill. A heel injury for Hill? Yeah, it, they said that it's not much to worry about, but that's something that I'm 
I'm concerned about just for a speedster like that to have anything wrong with his foot heading into the playoffs. I'm not saying he's a zero probability play. In fact, in our big board for the Sunday slate, he's the highest priority option over Kelsey. But I still really, really like Kelsey at that $400 salary discount on DraftKings compared to Tyreek Hill. We saw that game against the Chargers in week 15 where he showed his true ceiling is still intact. 191 receiving yards on 10 receptions. I realize he needed overtime to get there. And he's only had nine receptions since that point in the two games that he's played. But I don't think the Steelers' defense is able to stop both of these players. And the running game, I know it's difficult here because we don't know if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to play. But if you think that Kansas City is going to smoke the Steelers like I do, one of these running backs is going to get like 20 to 25 opportunities. So you could get a discount Daryl Williams as an obvious play here. Uh, I'm fine even if Clyde plays, taking some shots on him as well. Me too. We got to pay attention. If one of those guys is out, that's going to be significant, very significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been, drafted a decent amount of those guys in the underdog best ball playoff leagues too, because they're super, super down in the ADP and people just ignore it. But yeah, ultimately you're talking about a team that the running backs will be involved. If both of them are active, it's tough at those price points. Cause you have Fournette. Uh, I think if Sanders plays, he's going to have a heavy workload it's going to be difficult to figure out who that is. And even Elijah Mitchell is going to get 20 plus carries. So I have some reservations, Matt, just in the sense that if both of them play and aren't limited, that gets messy. But aside from that, uh, if one of them is active and the other isn't, we're going to be in business. Anyway, again, sorry, we were up against it, guys. Uh, Try to do as much for each game as possible. But I think we did a great, great job getting everything for Saturday in. And then a good job for Sunday, but we'll have a ton more Sunday content and Saturday. You guys are the best. Appreciate you hanging out with us as always. Follow Matt at Draftaholic, me at Lafay underscore D. Shout out to Jordan Klein for producing as always. And stick around the Fan Up Show. Greg, Ryan, coming up right after this on the very same stream. So don't go anywhere. Stick around. Huge contest coming up if you haven't heard of them uh, for this weekend. Peace. See ya. See ya.